Welcome to Lamb of God Podcast. We hope you enjoy this week's episode. Alleluia, Christ is risen. The Lord is risen indeed. Alleluia. So grateful to be with you this morning. Uh, grateful to all those of you who have been helpful in the technology of helping us to uh, live stream these services. And we're just so grateful that the Lord has preserved us and kept us through this virus. And we want to continue to pray for those who may be sick with that. Uh, pray also for protection for those who are facing uh, the virus. We also want to lift up our healthcare workers who are constantly being exposed. But we're grateful for the news that uh, numbers seem to be going down and we want to pray that off. We want to finish it, if you will. Title of my message this morning is Jesus Christ, God's Yes to Us. Jesus Christ, God's Yes to Us. And if I have a subtitle, it would be Freedom Over Our Greatest Fear. Freedom Over Our Greatest Fear. Uh, Christianity is unique among all the world religions. The central doctrinal claim of Christianity is that Jesus rose from the dead in bodily, physical form, and he is alive and is worthy of being worshipped, trusted, and obeyed. This is why of all the doctrines of Christianity that gets attacked, this one gets attacked the most. It's historicity, it's factual claims, it's theology. But this is the claim. Everything, as Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, stands and falls on this claim. This claim that he has risen from the dead and is alive in physical bodily form means that he reigns at this moment from heaven, one day to return in glory and power. Jesus' resurrection is also our resurrection. For at the second coming of our Lord, we too, whether dead or alive, will be raised and glorified and renewed bodies. We know this from 1 Thessalonians 4. So he's made the way for us that we too would live an everlasting life and we too would be renewed and we too would be set free from this fallen world. A.W. Tozier, one of my favorite writers and probably yours too, wrote, the man who died on the cross died in weakness. The Bible is plain in telling us this, but he arose in power. If we forget or deny the truth and the glory of his resurrection, and the fact that he is seated at the right hand of God, we lose, we lose all the significance of the meaning of Christianity. That's why this day is the most central day in the church calendar, because this day is the, gives Christianity, it gives Christ, it gives our relationship with him all its meaning. I repeat, the doctrine of the resurrection is the meaning of Christianity, the central claim. Paul emphatically affirmed this truth when he wrote, and we go to 1 Corinthians 15. If you have a Bible or an application, or it may even be coming up on the screen for you. 1 Corinthians 15. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless. And so is your faith. Resurrection is essential. The Corinthians had this Greek mindset that the body was important. In fact, the body was evil. It deteriorated. What did you want to be? Is free in your spirit. You wanted to leave your body behind. Paul's saying, no. 
there's a resurrection. Christ resurrected. And it is meaningful. It is so meaningful that if it's not true, then everything else is untrue. Without the resurrection, Christianity is nothing. It can't transform a life. It can't stand up as a philosophy. It can't be just even a good form of ethics. The resurrection is essential to who we are as believers, and yet this truth seems so distant and so impractical. In fact, I could say in many uh, meetings I've visited, I sometimes never hear it mentioned, the resurrection. It's because the doctrine of the resurrection may sound abstract, a far-off, distant theological truth that doesn't relate to me. But in fact, this truth deals with the greatest fear all people face. Every person on earth faces this fear. They may not admit it. They may say, I don't even think about it. It may not have crossed their mind, but it's there. The greatest fear of all people that we face is the fear of dying. In a society that marginalizes the ugly effects of death, we find it hard to believe that the fear of death is life's greatest struggle. Our greatest struggle, my greatest struggle. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 2. You see, as we, this would be chapter 2, verses 14 and 15, as you get there, I want you to think about this great fear, this fear of death, and the fact that our society tries to hide it away. Most of us have never seen a decaying body or have seen an individual pass from this life, mortal life, into eternity. Most of our friends and relatives have died unseen in nursing homes or distant hospitals. In the U.S., our funerals are quickly performed and pristinely presented. Our mourning is quiet, withdrawn, and very dignified. We use euphemisms like passed away or the late John Smith to avoid using the word death. As a society, we attempt to ignore death with the idolization of youth. But death is ever-present reality for all of us. There's no exceptions. There's no deviations. There's no qualifications. Every one of us will be faced with it at one time or another. And because of that, there's something that lays dormant sometimes, but it's always there. It's always present. And the writer of Hebrews wants us to know that. This is Hebrews 2.14. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. Let me read that again. This time from a little more simplified translation, the New Living. Because God's children are human beings and they're made of flesh and blood, the Son also became flesh and blood. In other words, he be, because of the need, there was a need to deal with death and to deal with sin. Jesus became one with us. He became God incarnate in human flesh. For only as a human being could he die. So that this is the only way that this problem could be dealt with. And for only as a human being could he die, and only by dying could he break the power of the devil. An innocent man pays the penalty and guilt for all those who are guilty and sinful and broken and deserve punishment. He takes their place. He takes upon it. And since he does that, the devil has no more accusations he can make. See, what the devil does is he says, you've sinned. Your penalty is death. I accuse you. 
off with you. And what Jesus says, if you believe me, I took your place. I suffered your just judgment. Therefore, the, the devil has no more place to accuse. Nothing else he can point to to say, you deserve this. That's why Paul in Romans 8 says, there's therefore no condemnation for those in Christ. There's no more accusations that can be made in a law court that says you deserve hell. You deserve death because of what you have done, because Christ has taken your place. He had the power of death, that is the devil. Only in this way could he set free all who have lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. Listen to that phrase. He set free all who have lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. New American Standard's even more emphatic. He must deliver those who fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. So all of us face the fear of passing, and all, that is no exception. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, he, Jesus has dealt with this issue. He became God in human flesh. He took away the devil's accusations. He died in our place, and therefore he can deliver us from this fear. This fear that's pervasive for everyone and everyone everywhere. It's interesting, though, that the Bible says that we were not created to die. Our existence was meant to be forever. We were called by God to be infinite partakers of the tree of life. As Adam and Eve were in the garden, there were two trees, as you know, the tree of life, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. As they partake of the tree of life, they are living forever. And that's the way life was meant to be, enjoyed in the presence of God in a paradise, in love with him and he with them, and no hiding, no guarding, no separation, one and one in the presence of God. We were not created or die. Our existence was meant to be eternal. We were called to be God again to be infinite partakers of the tree of life and to live forever. We were designed by God to live forever with him, enjoying his presence and delighting in his goodness. However, the fall, the sin, Genesis 3, you know the issues that changed with the fall. Adam and Eve decided they wanted to eat the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, even though God forbid, forbid them. What does that mean? That means Adam and Eve wanted to make rules with God's direction. They wanted to set the genome. They wanted to do what was right in their own eyes. And they wanted to do it without God's direction, with God's approval, with God leading them. They thought through Satan's temptation that God might be hiding something and in some way might be ripping them off or shortcutting them in the aid of the tree. Because Adam and Eve, because Adam and Eve wanted to make rules without God's direction, they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That's in Genesis 2.9. They want it to be their own definers of what is good and bad, what is virtuous and what is evil. And so what happened? Death entered the world. In Romans 5, 12, probably one of the essential passages for understanding the resurrection and the ascension and what Christ has done for us and setting us free from Adam's sin. I'm sorry, Romans 5, 12. Therefore, one, just as sin entered the world through one man, that man is Adam, and death through sin, in this way, death came to all men because all sin. Death pervaded our world. Death affected our relationships, men and women, 
friendships, family, our relationship with the earth, with the environment. That's why we have a coronavirus flying around, because we live in a fallen world and death is pervading through it because of what sin has accomplished and done. Death is an aberration caused by sin's awful effect on creation. And we know this from Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, and the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus. Here's death. That's the penalty. That's the price you pay for sinning. Not only in Adam and Eve, but in yourself. But the Lord Jesus has found a way, and he's ready to gift us eternal life in the presence of the Lord. He And it's a free gift, graciously given. Death is a penalty and punishment for sin. Death became our greatest enemy. Death separates relationships. Death is deterioration and decay, destruction and despair. Death causes overwhelming hurt, incessant pain, deep anguish, and persistent grief. As previously stated, we were not wired for death, not originally created to die, nor equipped emotionally to deal with its lasting effects. That's why funerals seem so awkward, because they are. Because we weren't wired to handle this. This was never meant to happen. That's why getting over grief, if you ever get over it, you learn to deal with it, you learn to cope with it, but you never quite get over the loss of the one you deeply loved. But Jesus came on the scene. Jesus came to deliver us not only from the fear of death for us personally, but he came to set us free from the effects of death itself. The resurrection of Jesus was not simply a coming back from the dead, but a transformation in which Jesus' material body was made perfect and complete, freeing us from sickness, weakness, decay, and even the effects of aging. He came to set us free, that we might live forever in him. This is a wonderful passage in Romans 8.11. Whenever I think of Romans 8, I think of David, our David, who loves this chapter so much. And ever I read it, I think of him. And Romans 8.11 says, And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the spirit who lives in you. So if Jesus was raised from the dead and he's now living in you by the power of the Holy Spirit, this power, this resurrection power is now in you, your mortal body. And it is giving you new life, resurrection life, so you don't have to sin. You don't have to give in to sin. You don't have to give in to the temptations of the devil. You don't have to give in from the pressures of the world. You can know that on the last day you'll be resurrected because Christ was the first fruits of those who've fallen asleep. And that if the Spirit raised Jesus from the dead and he's living in you, he's going to raise you from the dead and give you new life and give you victory over death. What an incredible passage. Years ago, I was sitting in a seminar uh, conducted by a scientist who was working on extraterrestrial, And they had been taking little snippets of the cloth and studying it and doing uh, photo analysis of the image. He said, I can't say whether the man in the Shroud of Turin was Jesus. But what I can say is that to be able to get a man's image reflected on, as a negative on that cloth, to be able to get that kind of reflection, that impression on the cloth. Someone who was wrapped in that burial cloth, their image is on the way, all the way down it. You can even tell the cup of coins that were used on their eyes to keep their eyes closed. 
the power that it would take to create that image would be the equivalent of a nuclear blast. So as a scientist, he was saying, a nuclear blast happened in that tomb and an image was put on that cloth. We as believers are saying, yes, we know resurrection power was in that tomb. The Bible says the Father raised him from the dead. The Bible says the Son raised himself from the dead. Now we see that the Holy Spirit raised him from the dead. The entire power of the Trinity was in that tomb and rose Jesus from the dead as a nuclear blast, putting that image on that shroud and him peeling that away and walking away, resurrected, defeating death, conquering all our greatest foes. The Son of God is risen indeed. Jesus shattered death's grip. He shattered it by being an innocent man that died the death of a guilty man and paid the penalty for the whole world world sin. Let me say it again. How did Jesus shatter death? Christ, the innocent man, died the death of a guilty man and paid the penalty for the whole world's sin. We know this from 1 John 2.2. In theology, there's a famous term or a phrase that you need to be familiar with. You need to know it. It's called penal substitution. What that means is Jesus Christ took our place and paid the price for our salvation by absorbing the just judgment we deserve for our sin. That means Christ's death was penal. In other words, he bore our penalty for sin when he died. So there's a penalty to be paid, and Christ paid it. He was, uh, uh, Isaiah 53 He was pierced for our transgressions. Christ's death was a substitution in that he took our place. He suffered for our self-absorption, self-centeredness, and self-conceit. Pedal substitution. He bore our penalty in our place. What a glorious doctrine. Maybe a stiff theological term, but it's a wonderful truth that we can know on this resurrection day, that we can look to him in faith and know that he has paid the price. He has risen from the dead. And as a result, we're placed in Christ. He has paid our penalty. and We look to him in faith and we're set free. For whom the Son sets free is free indeed. One of my favorite theologians and characters in church history is everybody's favorite right now. I think it's the 75th anniversary of his death, I think, this year. And that's Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He wrote in one of his last sermons that we have, The resurrection of Jesus Christ is God's yes to us. When I read that yesterday, it just, I completely changed my sermon because I thought the sentence said it all. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is God's yes to us. He was resurrected, therefore we have a way to have a relationship with our heavenly father. He is alive. Therefore, death cannot have its grip on us. We no longer have to fear death. We no longer have to give in the sin. We no longer have to be influenced by the world. We have conquered. Therefore, we can know we're going to live the way we're intended to live, live with him forever and have an eternal relationship with our heavenly father. We read the quote to you. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is God's yes to us. Christ died for our sins. He was raised for our righteousness. Christ's death was the death upon us and our sins. If Christ had remained death, this death sentence would still stand. We would still be in our sins. Because, however, Christ is risen from the dead, 
Our sentence has been lifted. We are risen with Christ. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is God's yes to every human being. Yes, Lord, I look to you. Yes, Lord, be my hope. Yes, Lord, I believe you. Yes, Lord, let these truths be for me. 2 Corinthians 1.20 says, Indeed, Jesus Christ is God's yes to us. But Christ indeed has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Since death came through a man, the resurrection of the, of the dead also has come through a man. For in Adam all died, but in, all, but in Christ all will be remain alive. Jesus makes an appeal to us in John 11. And whoever lives and believes will never die. If you, it will happen in your life if you believe. Now let me ask you a question. The question that Jesus asks at the end of that verse. Come in faith. If you do and you believe that he has risen from the dead, you'll be saved. You'll be set right with God. You'll be justified, made right with him. This is the gospel. Christ has died in your place, suffered your death, took care of your penalty, set you free from death. And all that is required is that you would believe him. Would you say yes to God's yes in Jesus Christ this morning? Because he has done this great truth for you. And he did it out of love for you. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would come this morning and anyone who's listening to this streaming podcast or eventually will see it. I pray that, Lord, you would use it to draw them to the resurrection power of Jesus, to know him and to love him and to be with him in all of eternity. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us this week. Hope to see you next time.